The book of James, chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When I was in high school, I remember there was one teacher in particular. His name was Mr. Hollenbeck. Mr. Hollenbeck taught a class that was required for graduation. It was called Current World Problems. Well, every year, Mr. Hollenbeck made it his goal to try to see that every senior graduated. He would be out there in the hallway at times, and if he had a test coming up in his class, which again was a required class, he would be catching kids in the hallway and saying, look, you know what, you really need to do well on this test to get you to that graduation line, so so why don't you come in at lunch and, and we'll go over some things, I'll help you. Make sure you're ready for that test. Why don't you come in after school? I'll help you with that. He really made an effort. Oh, the reason I bring that up this morning is that's really what James is doing at this point. James has taken the group of people he's writing to, which is a bunch of people that are kind of scattered about, Jewish believers it looks like, that are scattered about, and he's trying to get them to do well in their faith and in their life. And by extension, he's doing the same thing with us. James's purpose with us this morning is to... Uh, have a succeed in our Christian walk. Now, the, the wording that it kind of comes down to that he uses is this idea of pure religion. And as I've mentioned before, pure religion, religion's not something Christians tend to like to use a lot because we like to say, well, it's more of a relationship than it is a religion. And, and some of that's true. But the fact of the matter is, you know, it is still a religion. A religion is how we live out our faith before God And so we shouldn't really shy away from the Word, especially because the Bible uses it. James is using it here. And notice what he's, what he's doing. He has a goal in this passage, and that is that he wants us to experience that pure religion. He also defines it at the end of verse 25 as the one who will be blessed in his doing. And so he wants us to experience, as he, as he talked about at the end of verse 21, the salvation of our souls. He wants us to be blessed in our life as we live it out before God. In contrast to that, he points out a religion that is deceptive. A couple different times he uses the word deceiving, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. He also pointed out that our religion, if we don't bridle our tongue, he says our religion is worthless. And so he's pointing out that in religion, you can have a religion that is a pure religion, good religion, a blessing in your life, or you can have a religion actually that is worthless, deceptive. And so what his goal is for us is that we would live out a life of this pure religion before God, that we'd have a life that is a blessing in our life and in others, a religion that's not deceptive, it's not worthless, but it is that, as he calls it, 
pure religion. And so we're going to look at how pure religion impacts our life. And first of all, we see that pure religion impacts our composure. I struggled a little bit for a word with this one, but it's, it's kind of it's, it's your attitude a little bit. It's, it's how you carry yourself, how you, how you view life and the things that are going on around you. Right? It's kind of like, are you joyful a lot or are you cranky a lot? Or are you a, kind of a glass half empty or a glass half full kind of a person? It's, it's kind of that kind of a, of a perspective. Now, the reason that I would say that is because he talks a lot about talks about our speech, about our um, our, our anger in dealing with that. Uh, we look at verse in verse 26. He says, "If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, you don't you don't control your mouth." He says, "And that person's religion is worthless." In light of what he had said earlier, it says, "Know this, my beloved brothers: Let everyone be quick to hear." Slow to speak, slow to anger. I remember somebody saying one time, look, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you talk. Maybe that's a good ratio for us. It's kind of like what Proverbs says, even a fool is considered wise if he keeps quiet. Our composure, be quick to listen. I remember reading a book years ago, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of his habits of highly effective people is that they seek first to understand and then to be understood. People that are effective, that are prosperous, successful, they tend to try to understand the other person's point of view first, try to understand the situation at whole. That is their first priority. Then, having that understanding, they also want to communicate their side. They also want to be understood. How many times do you catch yourself listening to somebody else, but really you're kind of formulating what you're going to say next? James is like, you know what, we need to turn that around. We need to get better at listening, better at understanding. And yeah, there's a time for you to speak and that, but, but you know, maybe we ought to taper that a little bit. So we need to be slow to speak. And then it says slow to wrath or slow to anger. Now this, this anger is, that he's talking about here, it's not the word for like boom, like a, like you have a burst where you just lose your cool. That's not necessarily good either, but, but that's not really what he's, this anger that he's describing here, this word means kind of a deeper, kind of a resentment, something that's kind of smoldering, festering down inside of you, dissatisfaction with the world and kind of a grumbling underneath the surface. And that's what he's describing here in this place. It's not just about the explosion of a moment. It's about the composure that exists within you kind of your internal climate. If we're going to have this pure religion before God, it's going to impact our composure. Not only does it affect our composure, it also impacts our compassion. Our compassion, because notice what he says in verse 27, the very last verse of the chapter. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. What's the groups of people that he identifies here? Widows and orphans. What is similar about those two groups of people? Those two groups of people are both vulnerable, right? They don't have the, the widow no longer has her husband around to be able to help and, and to lean on and to draw strength from. Doesn't have a husband around in a lot of practical different ways too as far as a income coming in and different things as well. What about an orphan? An orphan doesn't have parents to watch over them, look out for them, make sure they have everything that they need and to take care of them. And so both of these groups of people are very vulnerable. They're also, because of that vulnerability, they're, they're easily taken advantage of. 
You know, that's one of the reasons that we're so strong on the pro-life movement. Because you're talking about an, an, an infant in the womb that has no rights at all in this country. That, that the, their life can be taken without, and it's legal. It's okay. Of course, everything that the Hitler did to the Jews was legal in Germany at the time too. But that does, we got our own Holocaust going here that's killed a lot more people than, than the German Holocaust ever thought of killing. And we're strong in standing up for that. In fact, that's why next week as we're collecting the bottles with the change in them that we do between Mother's Day and Father's Day, all that goes up to Northern Options for women to try to make sure that women are very aware of what their child is that's within them and, and get the help that they need if they're in a, a troubling situation or whatever and uh, so that that baby is protected. But that's the thing. God says, look, if you, if you have the mind of Christ, if you have this pure religion before God, you know what God's concerned with? God's concerned with widows and orphans. In Israel, if you look through the history of Israel, God often sent the prophets with scathing messages to Israel. And one of those scathing messages was that they were not watching out for their widows and orphans. They were not watching out for the vulnerable within their society. And so we need to be people of compassion in that way. So pure religion impacts our composure, it impacts our compassion. Not only that, but it also impacts our character. Verse 21, it says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Pure religion is going to impact our character. There is no such thing as a pure religion before God that is not separate from the world. In fact, it says at the very last part of verse 27, keeping yourself unstained from the world. Why? Because the world has a lot of staining capability. You know, the other day I picked up a chain. I have a chain that's like 25 foot long and a pretty big chain that I use for moving anything really heavy sometimes, whether it's pulling a car or on a job with a crane, lifting something up and moving it to different places. And So it's always in the back of my truck. Well, because of that, it's pretty rusty, right? Anytime you pick up that chain, you're not coming away from that without rust look all over your hands. In dealing in this world and working in this world, there's all kinds of things that will stain you. There's all kinds of things in this world that will rub off on you in a very wrong way. You know, we live in a time that is rapidly becoming, I think, one of the times that should be the easiest in the history of the world for being different from the world. Our world is adopting and pursuing and chasing after so many foolish things and sinful behaviors and wanting to approve and accept so many different crazy ideas that it should not be hard for Christians to stand out. There's a lot of things in this world that bring a stain. There's a lot of ways in this world where you are going to be pressured to be approving of things that the God is not approving of. To be endorsing things that God is not endorsing. In fact, when you read back to Romans chapter 1 and the specific thing that he deals with there is homosexuality. He said that God's problem with these people is not only the people that do the things, but the people that approve of the people doing the things. It's not just about in what we do, it's also about what we approve of. And you know what, the, the Word of God does not approve of sin. And God is an unchanging God. He's never going to approve of sin and thank God for that. There's a world of all kinds of things out there that would leave its stain upon you. And God says, if you're going to be pure religion before me, you're going to remain unstained. In other words, sometimes you're going to be the fish that's swimming upstream when all, everything else is going downstream. You're going to feel at times like Elijah. Elijah cried before God and said, God, I'm the only one left. That was after a great victory in his life, but now all of a sudden he's afraid of Jezebel and running for his life. And he gets before God and he says, I'm the only one left. And God says, get up. I've got over 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
And you know what? Our experience will be the same. And we're not going to be there. God always has a remnant, but the remnant isn't a remnant of one. <laughs> There's going to be a bunch of us. But you know what? The fact of the matter is we need to encourage one another and stand strong and have solid character and not give in to the world's values. The world's value system is corrupt. We need God's value system. And that's why back earlier on in verse 21, it says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So he says, you've got to put away that stuff. Remember when we were going through Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 4, it talked about who we are in Christ. We're this new person in Christ. And then it says, you know what we need to do? We need to put on the new man and we need to put off the old self. That's what James is talking about here. He says, look, if we're going to have a prayer religion before God, we've got to be that new person in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. A religion that says that I follow Christ, but we don't follow the precepts of Christ, is a false religion. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know, the things that God has detailed for us, the, the character, the values that He gives us to, to live by and to guide by, you've got to recognize that those are given to you by the one that made you. He's the one that made you, so He knows how you work. He knows what is best for you. He's the one that loves you because He gave His own Son to die on the cross for you. And so it makes sense to line up our character with His character. Why? Because His character is true. Our character can be sinful. It can be corrupt. To say that we have this religion before God, that we believe in God, but we don't follow His virtues, is, James calls it worthless. He calls it deceptive. Why? Because we deceive, we deceive ourselves. We can convince ourselves that we have the best of motives while we do the worst of things. The Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can trust it? And that's exactly why God gave us of His Word. So as we look at it here, James is saying, look, I want you guys to make it. I want you guys to have this pure religion before God. Not one that's deceitful or worthless, but one that's a blessing in your life, that's successful that way. He gives us a tool. Because you notice in the passage here, he keeps talking about the Word. The Word of God. Actually, he began in our passage that we dealt with last week, back in verse 18. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth. So the tool that God gives us to have this pure religion before God, how do we keep ourselves from deceiving ourselves? How do we keep ourselves from building a religion that's worthless and deceptive? And how do we know we're on the right track? That we're in God's pure religion. He gives us His Word. Notice it says, Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth. Very similar to what He says in verse 21. After He says, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, now notice, that's one side of it. And what's the opposite? What do you fill that void with? He says, receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls. So he's saying, look, there's things in your life that you've got to get rid of, and let's replace them with what you find in the Word of God. This is your toolbox for, the first thing it does is saves your souls. But then it's also going to build us in our uh, walk with God. In verse 22, he says, be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently in his natural face in a mirror. Talking about the same thing, but he refers to it as the law and the law of liberty, the law that produces freedom. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. A lot of times people think of the law as binding. Jesus says, oh no, it's a, the law sets you free when you see the clarity of it and the purpose for it. 
And so all through this passage, he keeps coming back to that one thing, the word of God, which is able to save your souls, the word of God, which is what you need to be living, doing. And so the tool that God gives us to have this pure religion is the word of God. You know, I'd be honest with you, sometimes somebody will ask me a question about an issue or something like that. And I'll be like, you know, I don't know what I think about it. And you know why I don't know what I think about it yet? Is because if it's an issue that I haven't searched the scriptures to find out what the answer is, then I want my mind to be submissive. And that's why he says receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I want my mind to be shaped by the word of God. I want my thoughts to be God's thoughts. And so if you ask me of something that's a new subject to me, or maybe I haven't thought all the way through, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the Word of God, and I'm going to dig, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to look up and see what other people have found, and they're digging for it and studying of it as well. And I'm going to try to find my conclusions in there. But I might not know what I think about it yet, because I need to make sure my thinking is informed by the Word of God. God is a revealing God that has revealed Himself to us and He's done it in His Word so that we can know Him and know His will. But we've got to get in there and learn it. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. The book of James here, we're just kind of finishing up chapter 1. Chapter 1 has been about trials. Chapter 1 has also been about temptations. And now he's saying, I want you to be successful in those trials. I want you to be successful in overcoming those temptations. How do you do that? It's through the Word of God. It's kind of like that teacher that was out in the hallway flagging students down for help. It's not like he wasn't going to give them a test. They're still going to get a test. But he's saying, let me pull you in and help you. Let me give you the information you need. Grind this into you to make sure you're ready for that test. That's what this is about. He's already acknowledged that we face trials from outside, temptations from within. We need to pass these tests. So here's your tool. It's the Word of God. You know, when we look back, we can learn a lot from that in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, we find the first temptation. When the serpent came to Eve and tempts Eve to eat the fruit that God told him not to eat from. And what is Satan's approach at that time? The very first thing he does is attack the Word of God. He says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now notice, he distorts what God said, because God said there's just one tree you can't eat from. But Satan comes and he misrepresents it, but his challenge is to the Word of God. He goes to Eve and says, did God really say? And you know what? That gives us some indication of what, how Satan tempts us today too. Did God really say? Is this really wrong? Is this really a problem? Wouldn't that thing make you happy? Doesn't God want you to be happy? Oh, that's right where he was going with Eve. In fact, his next thing was, you know what? You're not going to die. She's going to say, no, God told us we can eat from all the other trees, but just not this one tree. Because the day we eat from that, you're going to die. And Satan's going to challenge God's Word again. He's going to say, you're not going to die. Well, how many deaths have we experienced now to show him to be a liar? He says, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. Are we like God? No. But he was telling Eve, look, God's holding you back. You, you could really be happy if you go this direction. That's exactly how our temptations come to us. But you know, on the positive side of that, then we flip to Matthew chapter 4 and we see the temptation of Christ. Now, this is hugely important because in the Garden of Eden, we have the temptation of the first man, Adam. And in Matthew chapter 4, we have a record of the second Adam, the Bible calls him in the book of Romans, the second Adam, which is Christ. You see, the first Adam failed in the temptation and brought all of us under the condemnation of sin. The second Adam succeeded and he brings us out of that condemnation through our faith in him. 
And so when we look at Matthew chapter 4, we get to see three temptations that Satan tempts Christ with. And at the end of one of those temptations, he says, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How are we supposed to handle temptation? By trusting the Word of God. Now, you know what's amazing about this? Is that in all three of the temptations that we have that where Satan challenged Jesus, Jesus answered the devil on every instance by quoting the Word of God. Now, that's astounding to me. Why? Because, well, if he's tempting me, then I understand me using the Word of God. Because what else do I have? That's what I've got. But when you think about it, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. Jesus could have said anything and it would have been the Word of God because of His nature, because He is God. Not only that, but it's being recorded for us by Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's, it would have been the Word of God no matter what Jesus said. But Jesus actually quoted from the Word of God that we had already recorded from God revealing to Himself. And Jesus Himself used the Word of God to succeed against His temptations and against Satan and to come out victorious in the end. And so we see that the Word of God is the toolbox that even Jesus used for overcoming temptation in His life. Well, Luke chapter 8, we see the importance of the Word of God. Jesus was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But He answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. That's quite the value being placed on the Word of God there. Also in Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, as He said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. John chapter 8, verse 47, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about the effectiveness of this tool. And everybody that's ever used a dull saw appreciates the sharpness of a sharp tool. And it says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, it pierces your very being and just kind of exposes you for who you are. It's been my experience. I can be reading through the Word of God and all of a sudden, something that I read in there will line up with something in my life and there's just this piercing. Oh, Man, I've been doing it wrong. It's time for me to get this right. That Word of God has that kind of power. Pierces down into our very most being and begins to shape the way we think. Make us more like God. Tells us to get rid of some things. Tells us to add some things. But puts us more into His image. Well, as we consider that, how do we use it in a practical way? That's what He gives us. He gives us several different practical ways to put God's Word to use. First one is to receive it talked about receiving the Word of God with meekness, and that Word of God is able to save our souls. I remember the day that I came to Christ. I had started to get pretty religious and stuff like that. Started to go to church and and to learn some things and and, uh, started reading the Bible a little bit here and there and stuff like that. And was getting pretty religious, but didn't really understand my need for a Savior. Uh, You know, I knew who Jesus was, that He was the Son of God. knew a few things about Him, not much. But there became a conflict in my life at one day where uh, it happened to me at church. I was at church, and all of a sudden I realized that I was lost before God. I was a sinner. 
and that my sin was separating me from God. At first I fought against it. I thought, nah, I'm a good guy. I've done some things wrong, but I'm not, not too bad. And I've got this kind of argument going on with inside of myself. I'm okay. I don't, I don't need to do nothing. I'm good. But as I went on, I, I, there was still a piercing. There was still a struggle. There was there's something inside of me now that was saying, no, you, you need to submit. You need to, you need to embrace Christ as your Savior. You need to confess your sinfulness and, and embrace Christ as the salvation and forgiveness of your sins. And, and so I had this struggle inside of me. Lasted about as long as the church service did. I have no clue what he talked about that day. I was just fighting with myself the whole time, or maybe I should say fighting with the Holy Spirit. But you know what? Finally, at the very end of the service, my heart, I just, it just yielded. And it's just, I just got before God and I said, God, I'm a sinner. I don't want to thank you for sending your son to die for me. And I need him to be my Savior. And I just, in humility and meekness, submitted to what I knew from the Word of God that God had sent His Son to be my Savior, to deliver me from my sins. I received that, and that's what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul would write to Timothy the same reality in his life. Second Timothy three fourteen and 15 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, in other words, the Word of God that you've been taught, that, that showed you faith in Christ, the salvation that you experienced, you learned in the Word of God. It's the Word of God that brought you to that point of salvation. Last week when we talked about God bringing us forth through His, through His Word, we, we pointed to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. that says, "...since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, abiding Word of God." He says the Word of God is, a, is the seed that God plants in your heart and it produces a born-again experience. It brings you to that place. You're born again through the experience of the, the truth of the Word of God sinking into your heart and taking root and bringing you to that point where you submit to God's salvation and you receive Him as your Lord and Savior. We need to receive it in meekness. But then also he says we just need to read it. We need to read it. We need to listen to it being taught and preached. It says, But be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word... In other words, we need to hear it. We need to take it in. And so we need to read it. Not only do we need to read it, but we need to return to it. Now he's saying, read it again. Remember it. Kind of another way of saying, read it again. And what does he compare it to? Somebody looking in a mirror. We're not blessed for hearing the Word of God. We're blessed for doing the Word of God. He says, you know who's blessed? The one who hears and then perseveres. In other words, continues to hear. Continues to listen. And he compares it to this person looking in a mirror. And he says, one person looks in the mirror, glances, sees everything that needs to change. Because that's what mirrors do, right? They reveal who we are. They don't create who we are. I remember when I was a kid one time uh, complaining about my school picture. I didn't like the picture. My dad says, hey, it's just a camera. It doesn't work miracles. The camera sees what it sees. You're what it saw. Right? I thought, what can I say? But a mirror is the same way. It just shows you what's there. It doesn't change what's there. It just shows you what's there. He says you got one guy that looks in the mirror, sees everything that needs to change, but then just goes off and forgets about it. you got somebody else that looks and, oh, hey, wait a minute. Let me get rid of that. Oh, it's still there. 
Oh, still there. See, notice what they're doing. They're persevering. They're hanging in there. He says, that's what we need to do. We get in the Word of God. We see something that needs a change. We continue to look. We continue to dig. We continue to apply that to our lives. We make those changes. Then lastly, respond. Respond because of this whole idea of being a doer. He says, you're not blessed for being a hearer of the Word. You're blessed for being a doer of the Word. What happens if we're a hearer but not a doer? He repeatedly says, you deceive yourself. And you know what? With religion, that's often what happens. With religion, we convince ourselves that we did our good thing by coming here and listening to good things that we should do. Don't get me wrong. This is a good thing. It is a good thing. God has commanded us to assemble and to be an encouragement to one another, to strengthen one another, to dig into His Word. All these things are a good thing. But the reason we do all those things is so that when we walk out that door, our life is changed. Our life is more like Christ. He says, if you come in here, if you think that you're good because you come in here regularly and listen, but you never walk out that door and make a change, you're deceiving yourself. The religion that God is looking for is for the person that comes in here each week and is an encouragement to others and is learning and is growing and is going out there and their life is changing and becoming more like Christ and they're a blessing to people out there as well as being a blessing in here. That's the religion that God is looking for. 